It was a hot summer morning. There was a lot of anticipation. Kathy, Tom, their son Mark, and their daughter Katrina were in Moab, Utah, and they were excited. They had their vacation planned out, and today was the uh, most thrilling day of all. They were going to rent four-wheelers and go up these trails into the mountains, and they were so excited. So they showed up at the rental company, and they, they got their helmet and their equipment, and then they trailered them up to Slick Rock, and they offloaded there, and they showed them how to operate the, the four-wheelers. And um, a four-wheeler is different from a motorcycle. It, it has a thumb lever that accelerates it. And um, so they said, be careful. If you get afraid, you don't just freeze and push the accelerator, because it'll just keep going fast, you know? Uh, motorcycles are dangerous too. If you reach over the hand grip and you pull back a little bit and then, and then it accelerates, you go backwards. But when you do that, it accelerates even more and you go faster. So uh, these, these equipment are dangerous. You need to use them carefully. So they explained, right? <laughs> they explained to them how to use them and, and off they went uh, along the trail, cautiously, carefully. And uh, they had been out for maybe uh, 45 minutes to an hour and they came to this, this turn in the trail and it overlooked the valley, and it was just beautiful. You could see the Colorado River winding down through, cliffs off in the distance, just dry, red desert. And they just enjoyed the moment because it was beautiful. Well, Mark, their son, was a little ambitious. He was ready to get going, and he started up the trail again. Tom was following, and um, Kathy was waiting just a moment for her daughter Katrina to get ready. As she turned her four-wheeler, uh, something happened and she hit the accelerator a little too hard. It jerked her arms forward when she did it, straightened the tires back out again, and she was headed directly towards the cliff. Kathy's heart went up into her throat. She was watching. She screamed, no! Tom looked at that moment just as Katrina's four-wheeler went over the cliff. They saw her disappear from sight. Their heart was pounding. They rushed to the edge and looked over. They saw the four-wheeler still rolling and tumbling and about 90 feet below, motionless, was Katrina. They called, no response. They couldn't get down. They didn't know what to do. So Tom went back, got on his four-wheeler, rushed back in until he got cell reception. Please, this has just happened. I need someone to come out quickly. So they sent out the word on the, um, the radio and the rescue teams got in place. And Jake was the first one on the scene. He looked down, he saw the situation. This was really bad. The, he sent over the radio, said, I need you guys to hurry. They showed up with the ropes and the equipment. They rappelled over the edge. Jake was the first one. He said, I want to be the first one down. He clipped in and he rappelled down over the edge. At the base of the cliff, it was really steep, a scree field, and the rocks are just moving. He stayed clipped into his rope and he got down to where uh, Katrina was and he reached down with his hand to touch her neck, just touch her carotid artery and see if there was a pulse. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Let's pray as we do. Father in heaven, as we open your word, we know that there are things that are hard for us to understand. As we look around us in this life, we definitely know there are things hard to understand. As we look at this chapter, we pray that you'd help us to see something fresh and new. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we have been studying 1 Corinthians 13 for two weeks now, 
And uh, this is a powerful chapter. How many of you know how many verses are in 1 Corinthians 13? 13. Yeah, there's 13 verses in 1 Corinthians 13. And um, last week, Mike Ducamus preached a powerful sermon on 1 Corinthians 13. And so I'm not going to even attempt to replicate that. But, you know, as, as you're on White Oak Mountain overlooking Chattanooga, you have a certain view, a certain perspective. But when you get on top of Lookout Mountain and you look back the other way, it's a, it's a different perspective. It's the same city, but, but another view. And, and if you go over to Signal Mountain and you look out that way, it's, a, it's an entirely different view. And when we, when we contemplate God, God is so immense and huge that we look at him from different perspectives. We see different angles, right? And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to look at it from a different, different perspective this week. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1. Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, you need to understand a little bit of context here. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense all by itself, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says, I am responding to a letter that you wrote to me. The, first, the Corinthians wrote him a letter and said, hey, we are having some issues in the church. Could you respond to these? And they had these different points, eight of them, boom, 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 eight points. Could you please address these? And so Paul is addressing them, now concerning this issue, now concerning this issue, now concerning marriage and um, um, eating of food offered to idols and and uh, he gets down through 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to go back one chapter, 1 Corinthians 12. And then he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. So he's addressing one of the items they had questions about. Like, we don't really understand this. There's some issues in the church. And so he addresses spiritual gifts. And there's different spiritual gifts that are had. Verse 4, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And he goes through and he lists the different gifts. He says that there is um, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge, uh, to one is given faith, to another gifts of healing, to another the works of miracles, to another gift of prophecy, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. So these are the different gifts that were given, some of them, uh, to the church. These gifts were given to help reach a broken world. God was empowering his church to do a work. And so Paul is explaining this to them. He goes in verse 12, he explains a, a metaphor about how the body, the human body, is like the church. There's a head, which is Jesus, there's hands, there's a finger, there's, there's a kneecap, there's a knee, and, and the body doesn't say to the hand, I don't need you, it, it needs the hand, but we all have a different part to play. This is his point. And uh, then he goes on and he says, are all of us the same thing? Are we all teachers? Are we all prophets? No, we all have a function to play. And then in verse 31, he says this but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. That word excellent is a little weak. It doesn't really give the power that's behind what he is using in Greek. It says beyond comparison or beyond measure. He's saying, I'm gonna show you a way, a direction that you can't compare. Like you can compare this organ to the one in Collegedale Church. You can see a comparison though one is much bigger. You can compare this piano to the keyboard in my living room. Uh, they're different, but they're, you can compare those two. Paul is saying, I'm going to explain something to you that you can't even compare. It's beyond comparison. It is the highest truth in the universe. There is a serious power behind what he's getting ready to explain. 
And it behooves us to contemplate what he's talking about here. So, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, the Greek word that's used there, tongues, is used in Acts, descri- Acts 2, verse 10, describing languages. How, how is it we hear every man in our own language, they said in Acts? So here he's saying, uh, if I speak in different languages of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm using the ESV here. The, the King James Version uses the word tinkling cymbal. I thought, huh, tinkling. I wonder what that originally meant, you know? Words change over time. Words change over time. You're aware of that, right? Cahutta Springs Camp used to be called Camp Come Be Gay because gay simply meant happy. Now gay has an entirely different connotation. So over time, words begin to shift and have a different meaning. So tinkling is one of those words. Tinkling is an, I'm going to see if I can say it right, onomatopoetic word. It, it has a, it, it's pronounced the way it, sounds or what happens. So tinkling was, back in, in the days the King James Bible was written, was this, what they said was the sound of, well, what do you think of when you think of tingling, tinkling? Huh? A bell? A teeny tiny bell, right? Like chimes out, you know, blowing in the wind. Right? Tinkling, uh, it's not a strong enough word. Uh, tinkling in those days meant the sound that an army makes, the roar that it makes as it's going to fight. <laughs> Did you see that coming? No, I mean, what? But that's what it meant. Uh, so the ESV, ESV gets a little more clear, a clanging symbol. Uh, if, you, if you're able to speak in a language, but any language, but you don't have love, you're just a noisy person. You're not really making a difference in the world. So he goes on and he talks about these different uh, gifts, he talks about the prophetic powers, understanding all mysteries, all knowledge, if you have all faith, that you can remove mountains. Uh, he describes these different elements, and he says, if you can do these different spiritual gifts, but you don't have this vital, life-changing element, it's valueless, it's meaningless, it makes no difference. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 has four movements to it. The first one is this. He compares them to spiritual gifts. And he says, well, if you have a spiritual gift without it, it's meaningless. Then he describes what it is. And then he compares it to things that don't last forever. And love does. And then he kind of has a conclusion at the end. So he's got these four movements. We see the first one deals with spiritual gifts. If you have these elements that God has given to his church to make a change in a broken world, but you don't have love, it's meaningless. Valueless. Then he goes on to explain what love is. As a matter of fact, we see that in verse 4. Love is. Hmm. How do you, how do you define love? Now, he attempts to. Uh, he gives a little definition of it. And I think he's just trying to address an issue of love within the church in Corinth. But there's some principles that apply to us as well. He says love is. Now, I love Mexican food. How many are with me? You love Mexican food. And not everyone loves Mexican food. Some like Italian. How many of you love Italian? Like, if you're going to, uh, okay, or the other half of the church. All right. How, how many of you love Greek food? There's a few of you. Okay. Some of you went for all the loves. Okay. How many of you love your mother? Should be every hand in the room. You all have one. <laughs> How many of you love your children? How many of you that are married love your spouse? Yeah, all right, thank you, Faith. She gives both hands, hallelujah. <laughs> I love you too, sweetheart. 
How many of you would die for your mother? If a train is coming, you'd push her out of the way and get hit yourself. Oh, very few of you. <laughs> Sorry about your mother. Okay. Well, how many of you would die for your child? How many of you would die for your spouse? How many of you would die for Mexican food? <laughs> Some of you might die because you eat a little too much of it. <laughs> the word love in English just doesn't capture it. It, how can the love to your mother or your wife or your child be the same as Mexican food? It's not. It's different. And we sometimes get confused with this terminology. Uh, first time I saw Faith, I thought, oh, I'm in love. She didn't have the same feelings, actually. Um, but over time, she started to kind of like me a little bit. And it grew, and now, now she loves me. Um, but, but I thought it was love initially, and now, now this year it will be 24 years we'll be married in October. I love her more now than the day we got married. But, so love changes. It's different. But our English language has a hard time expressing the difference. Now, John 21 helps us to understand a little more of the biblical understanding, usage of the word love. John 21 and verse 15 Jesus has met with the disciples after the resurrection and after they've eaten together, 21 verse 15, Jesus says to John, Simon, son of John, excuse me, says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I can't help but think it's a reference to when Peter says, though all forsake you, I won't. And the next thing he does, he forsakes him. And so Jesus is somehow reminding him of that. Hey, you know, remember? You said you loved me more than these. And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. In our English vernacular, it, it, it doesn't make as powerful a sense as it does in what Jesus actually said. Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me more than these? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. In the Greek, they were more specific in their words usage than we are. We're pretty lazy about that. They were very specific. And there's seven different, that I understand, usages in the Greek about the word love. I'm going to share these with you. You kids have this on your sheet, and uh, you can fill that out. Okay. So one of the word, Greek words is ludus. And it's kind of the playful uh, love between two young lovers, like Faith and I initially. It's kind of this playful, fun love. It's not a deep love. It's not a friendship. It's, it's kind of this uh, playful love. Then there's another one that um, is a little different. It's called storge. It's like a family love, like a, a mother loves her children and, 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 and the children love their parents. It's a, it's a family type love. So you've got ludus, you've got storge, and then you have pragma, like pragmatic, like practical. It's a practical love. It's, it's, it's a love out of sense of duty. I love you because I have to. <laughs> so Faith asked me the other day, Chris, you just said you loved me, but do you like me? She's wondering, do you, love, do you love me just because you have to? Do you, I mean, you're my husband, so you have to love me. Do you really, you know, like me? You know? Yeah, of course, I like that. Um, the practical love of, uh, I'm, a, I'm a soldier, I love my country, I'm going to go die, in a, you know, that practical love. So you've got, you've got ludus, you've got storge, you've got uh, pragma, and then you've got uh, eros, which is kind of a sexual, erotic love, and then you have 
um, phileo or philia. This is, this is a deep friendship. This is a friendship between you know, two guys, two girls. It's like a deep friendship. And then, and then you have agape. This is a selfless, other-centered. This is the highest kind of love, agape. And then the last one, the seventh one, philautia. Philautia. That's, the, that's a self-love. Like, I love myself, right? So if I'm going to serve food at the table, I serve myself first and the biggest and the best. You know, I take care of me, right? So you have these different seven kinds of love. So Jesus... Um, was specific in his question to Peter. Uh, Peter, do you agape me? Do you have a selfless love to me? And Peter said, well, in thinking back on his behavior, recognized that he didn't have a selfless love towards Jesus. Matter of fact, it wasn't that high at all. It was lower down. And so uh, he was humble. And so he said, no, Lord, I have phileo. I, I phileo you. And so Jesus asked him again, second time, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And the third time, um, he asked the question again, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Jesus lowered it down. He recognized that Peter couldn't go quite that high. And then, and then the scripture says something interesting. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? Was Peter grieved because it was the third time he asked? or because he changed it from agape to phileo? I'm not sure. Uh, the third time really emphasizes the fact that he denied him three times, and he demonstrated he didn't really love Jesus like he thought he did. But it certainly is clear that, that Peter did not love Jesus the same way Jesus loved him. Jesus was calling Peter to a higher type of love, more than a deep friendship, but a selfless love. What do you think Jesus wants for you? What kind of love does he think you need to have? in your home, in your family, with your children, with him. Um, sometimes as couples are married for a while, that, that ludus goes away, that playful feeling. And the eros kind of becomes tame. And the deep friendship, phileo, kind of falls to the side. And they think, you know what? I don't love you anymore. What kind of love do you think God wants in a marriage? A selfless, God-focused love is what he wants in a marriage. And this is what Jesus wanted for, wanted for Peter. So in 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going back there, 13 and verse 4, love is. Paul is very specific in the word he uses here. Agape is. Agape is, selfless. He's not discussing any of these other loves. No, no. He's going for the highest. Love is. And then he describes what love is. Now, he uses two words to describe it. Then he uses eight examples of what love is not. And then he uses five examples of what love is. So the two examples of what love is. Love is, not two words. He says, love is patient and kind. That's what I have here in the ESV. Patient and kind. Uh, as boys, um, we didn't always like making our lunches for school. And so my mom came up with a simple solution. Uh, I would make lunches one day, and then my brother would make lunches the next day so that we weren't making them every day. Um, I'm somewhat picky about my food, 
Um, in particular to two things. One of them is tomatoes. I don't like fresh tomatoes. They're cooked, killed, chopped, whatever. But fresh tomatoes I don't like. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, the other is mayonnaise. I just, I just do not like mayonnaise at all. Um, so uh, my brother, knowing this, uh, would make my sandwiches. And, and he would put mayonnaise on my sandwich the same way he puts it on his sandwich. Now, Scott doesn't just like mayonnaise. He loves mayonnaise. I mean, it's dripping off the edges. It is so gross. And so I... Uh, so I, I went to school one day. I was really hungry that day. You know those days where, you, where you're not just, you know, ready to eat. You're like, I'm going to eat the lunchbox, you know? And so I got out my lunch and my lunchbox, and oh, the sandwich was dripping with mayonnaise. I was so grossed out. So I, I took it apart. I looked at him. I looked at him across the room, and he was just enjoying his lunch. He was smiling, and I was starving, and I had this gross mayonnaise. So I scraped it off, I ate the sandwich, it was just miserable. Uh, but I was patient. I thought, you know what? I'm gonna take care of this. I'm gonna show him real brotherly love. <laughs> Probably wasn't phileo love or, or store guy. So uh, the next day, it was my turn to make sandwiches. I was excited about making lunches this time. Couldn't wait. So I got the bread out, got the butter out. And I put a big mound of butter in there. And then I just covered it with mayonnaise, thick, dripping off. Put it in the bag. And, and we had the bags with a little flip top, you know, not the zip, but the flip top. And so did that, put it in his lunchbox. And the next day, uh, it was lunchtime. I was patient. I was patient. And I looked across the room, and I, I see him over there. He gets his lunch out. And, and he gets out his sandwich, and he sees the mayonnaise oozing off the edge. And I still remember to this day, he turned and looked at me, and he had this big smile on his face, and I returned the smile. <laughs> and then he took one bite, and two bites, heating around the edge a little bit, and then he took a big bite out of the middle. And the smile turned to confusion. <laughs> then he opened it up, and he saw the butter, and it turned to rage. My brother is six foot five, 250 pounds, zero fat, um, and a uh, uh, big guy. So he let me know in no uncertain terms with a few bruises to never do that to his sandwich again. Uh, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13, though, that love is patient and kind. That's it. That's his description of love, patient and kind. So let me ask you a question. You already know about me, how unkind I am. How patient and kind are you? In your marriage, how patient are you with your spouse? I mean, they say something that gets under your skin, deal with it immediately, right? Patient and kind. If we did those two simple things, what a difference this world would be. That person that cut me off in traffic, if I was patient and kind, what a difference it would make, right? The frustrating thing that our spouse just said, if I was patient and kind, wow, what a difference there might be. Um, if our brother or sister tells us in no uncertain terms how much they don't like us and how ugly we are, if we're patient and kind, wow. How might this world change? The scripture in describing God says that 
Uh, God is love. He is agape. He is selfless. That's who he is. But it also says that he is long-suffering. If you want a description of patience, think about God. Like he knows about everything that's going on in this world and yet out of love for every person to make a clear choice between heaven or the alternative, he says, I'm going to wait. He's patient. And he's kind. Patience and kindness. Paul goes on and uh, he describes in eight different ways what love is not. Um, I just want to highlight one element there. We can't look at them all. We don't have time. But one element. The King James Version uses the words, uh, love is not easily provoked. And I just want to address that. That word easily is supplied. It's not actually in the original language. It's not there. If you read it without that, if you pull the easily out, love is not provoked. Now, some of us guys have a harder time than that with some of you ladies. I think, I think, you know, the process of, you know, childbirth and you're just strong and um, my wife is telling me to zip my lip. Okay. Um, you, you're more, you're more uh, long-suffering than some of us guys. But we guys can be easily provoked. Um, one other butter story is I was sitting in the chair um, when I was younger than that and I was reading a book. And my brother was at my shoulder looking over my shoulder. Now, any of you have pet peeves? Like, like, that really bothers me. Well, that bothered me, like him reading over my shoulder. And I was eating a piece of bread with butter. Um, and he was there. And I was like, hey, man, quit. He's like, what? I, I don't want you, like, reading over my shoulder. Okay. Okay. So I'm reading. And he just didn't leave. He just kept staying there. And I felt welling up within me rage. Like, I was being provoked unfairly. Like, he could go somewhere else. He could read the book later. This is my time. Go away. And he didn't say anything. He just stayed there. So, I smashed the bread in his face, <laughs> thinking that would resolve my problem. Did I have agape love? Did I have the love God wanted for me? No. No, it was, that was unacceptable. He found it to be unacceptable too, and he let me know with a good whack on the head. Um, my poor mother, she had to raise two boys. I'm so glad I had daughters um, who never wrestle or fight. Um, yeah, easily provoked. God wants us to rise up above being provoked at all. Jesus, when they took and they laid him on the cross and nailed his hands and feet in place, was he provoked? He said words that I don't know that I could articulate. He said, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. How do you feel when someone provokes you? I mean, we all have our buttons. Come on, I'm not the only one. How do you feel when you're provoked? Do you have that feeling? Jesus wants you to have that feeling. He wants you to have a genuine agape love. That's his desire for you. Okay, so we're transitioning out of this second second movement into the third one where he says that love never, the King, King James says fails, this says love never ends, but those words don't quite get it. Um, it's more the idea of, of falling, like love never falls. Um, it's always strong. Um, I don't know if your experience is like mine, but sometimes you fall, right? But, but when God is in us, when his love is in us, it doesn't fall. Uh, but he compares it to the things that do. Um, he compares it to prophecy. So 
Um, Noah was told in 120 years it's going to rain. 120 years, it rains. That prophecy came to an end, right? Then in Daniel's time, he was told that in 490 years, Jesus would come, the Messiah would come. 490 years, the Messiah, he was baptized. I mean, you could just mark it out. Then we're also told 2,300 years later, Jesus would enter the most holy place of the sanctuary. 2,300 years later, the prophecy ends, right? So prophecy comes to an end, and that's the point he's arguing, is that the prophecy ends. He also says that, that knowledge comes to a completion, like you're studying a subject, and then you understand it. So it comes to an end. So prophecy and knowledge, they end, but he says, love never ends. It's the thing that continues throughout eternity. And then he summarizes at the end. He said, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is agape, faith. Faith is the thing Jesus said could move mountains. It has power, power to move a mountain. Hope is the thing that kind of pulls us along because we're hoping for this to happen in the future. We hope in God's word. We hope in the second coming. These things hold, help us hold on until then. But love, agape, he says, is the greatest of these. You may have faith, you may have hope, but do you have agape? Now, the person that went through the Bible and they divided it up in all the numbers, the chapters and the numbers, they got it right sometimes, they got it right a lot, but then other times they didn't get it quite right, and they missed it here, because it, actually 14 verse 1 is a part of the 13. Um, 14 verse 1, he says, pursue love, pursue it. Hmm. So Jesus gave Peter the goal that he needs to go to, agape. But he recognized Peter wasn't there, and so his third question was, Peter, do you phileo me? He was calling Peter to pursue this deeper type of love. How many of you want that deeper type of love? So Jake had wanted to be the first one down, and he had clipped on his harness. He rappelled down the cliff and kept the rope on because it was so steep, and he got down to where this motionless body lay. He reached down with his hands and he touched her neck, feeling for her carotid artery. He felt around for a minute, pressed, and he felt a pulse. It had been two hours since she had plummeted 90 feet and been crushed on the rocks. He didn't want to yell and so the next guy down, he's like, she's alive. Get me the stretcher. And so they brought the stretcher down on the ropes. They put her body in that. What do you think was beating in their heart? Hope for her. What do you think motivated them to help her? Love. Selfless love. Jake risked his life going down there. Those people could have been busy doing other things, but no. Because there was a broken body on the edge of a cliff, they put aside their busy lives and they said, no, we're going to go try to save this little girl. They didn't fight about the ropes. They didn't fight about the litter. They didn't fight about who's doing They said, no, we're going to go help. It took them about an hour and a half to haul that stretcher, that litter to the top. There was a helicopter waiting and they put her in it. When I read an account of this article, she had had almost 20 surgeries. 
Many bones in her body were broken and organs just damaged. But she was alive. God has given us a work to do. It's to work together with him in a rescue mission. His heart is beating with agape love for this world. And we get confused about what love is. And we get distracted with the the spiritual gifts and the ropes that we were given to make a difference. We start fighting among ourselves, forgetting the most essential thing, right, Mike? Agape love. How many of you need a deeper love? I need a deeper love. The only way that can happen is to let Jesus put it in there. No one can change their heart, but Jesus can change your heart.